Welcome to another edition of Opera for Everyone here on 89.1 KHOL. I am your host, Pat Wright, and I am joined today by longtime resident of Jackson Hole and longtime opera lover, Christine Goodman. Welcome, Christine. Hi, Pat. It's really fun to be here doing this. Christine, we have a special treat today, a wonderful opera. Would you like to introduce it for us? Oh, wow. Okay. Putting me on the spot. Yep. We are doing... we're, we're testing your Italian today. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, are watching and talking about, sure, I'll, I'll take a stab at this, La Cenerentola. By Rossini, that master of bel canto opera. Bel canto, for those of you who don't remember from the earlier episodes of Opera for Everyone, was that dominant form of opera in the early part of the 19th century. Our triumvirate of great bel canto composers, Rossini, Puccini. No, Puccini is later. later. He was the dominant force in the second half of the 19th century, also Italian. But our, our three dominant ones in bel canto are Italian. It's Donizetti, Bellini, not to be confused with the delicious sparkling drink, Bellini, Donizetti, and Rossini. And this is Rossini, that great master. Most most consider him to be the dominant force among the three, even. But you can't go wrong with any of the three of them. And bel canto, of course, means beautiful singing. And by extension, beautiful music, beautiful melody, and just plain beautiful, like Cinderella is beautiful. Yes, and for me, anything in Italian is beautiful. Well, it is a beautiful language. (laughs) It's a musical language. It is. Very, very lyrical, very musical. And one of the interesting things about this particular story is that we all know the Cinderella story, don't we? Yes. But this does not line up exactly with, dare I say, the Disney story that we all know so well. Yeah, quite, quite, quite a difference, actually. I remember, you know, we, as a child, we grew up with the Disney story, of course, and feeling so smug and smart with myself when I learned the Grimm's Brothers story and how it was very, very different from, well, I shouldn't say very, very, but how it had significant differences from the Disney story. Well, in, in my ignorance, I thought the Disney Cinderella story, I thought that's where it all started. Well, you know, it's interesting. Well, I, I've actually done some research getting ready for this, like I do, trying to figure out the history of it. And I actually couldn't find sources to agree with each other. As to whose was first? As to where it started. Some of, some sources will definitively tell you it starts in China. Oh my goodness. And some will definitively tell you that it's a Greek story with a, a, a displaced Greek slave where she finds herself in Egypt and she ends up marrying Egyptian royalty. Oh, wow. Huh. So it, it travels and ultimately it does end up in, in Europe, which is where we, we know it from as Americans. But Rossini's librettist, Jacopo Ferretti, actually knows it more specifically from Charles Perrault, the French author who takes it from the older sources. He's a collector of stories, and he writes in French, but I won't even do the French, the Mother Goose Tales. Oh, for heaven's sakes. Uh, he's, the, he's the one who invents the concept of the pumpkin, which turns into a coach, uh-huh. and also 
more importantly, or more familiarly to us, uh, the glass slipper. Oh my goodness. Yeah, he, he adds those. So different, different retellings will add those. But neither of those particular inventions of pearls actually end up in this particular retelling in this opera. No, not at all. No, not at all, right? See? <laughs> <laughs> We've just watched this recently. <laughs> and we highly recommend it to all of you to, to pull up a, a version of this. It's, I think it's pretty available. You can find it in a lot of different streaming sources. But uh, when the two of them sat down together in late December of 1816 to come up with an opera, they were trying to capitalize on Rossini's great success that he had had with the Barber of Seville. Barber of Seville, of course, uses the same characters that Mozart had used in Marriage of Figaro. Barber of Seville really put Rossini's name on the map. He was only 24. Wow. Wow, that's young. To create something like that. He was amazing, yeah. Rossini was very, very prolific. In fact, he was very prolific, very beloved, People like Verdi revered him. People like Wagner, who didn't like a lot of people, quite honestly. <laughs> he was a little bit of a curmudgeon. He revered uh, Rossini. Wow. As a young man. No, well, yeah, not, re- not unreservedly. Of course, he had criticism for everyone, and he didn't um, love everything about the bel canto style. But he greatly admired the uh, abilities of Rossini as a composer. And he was quick. 24 days is what it took him to write the music for this. Really? Oh my. Once they, once they hit upon the idea. Now, they were a little, I, what we would today call cheats. Some of the music had already been composed for some of his earlier operas. Mm. And we can talk a little bit more about bel canto later, because this bel canto style, which is so dominant in the early part of the 19th century, has, has some interesting features to it. But we'll just start by saying it's a highly popular style. And I don't just mean uh, lots of people liked it. I mean, it was of the, of the masses. Mm. Because yeah. this is, after all, an opera buffa, meaning that just it's very accessible. Everyone and a lot it. of fun, and it's exactly it's accessible. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. Shall we start with some of the fun? Yes, definitely. The, so we open on what characters? The two sisters. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah we open yeah. on the two sisters, Clorinda and Tisbeth. Right. Yeah, and they're they're going about their self-absorbed life. Yes, very comically, I might. Add. Very comically. I mean, to us watching, they were taking themselves very serious. Well, <laughs> that's the whole point, right? Yeah. That they're, that's why it's so funny, because they're taking themselves so seriously, but, <laughs> but there's nothing, nothing admirable at all about these two women. And then, in contrast, we see Cinderella, and yeah. she's singing what what appears to be a bit of a folk tune and because we're going to trans we're going to play these two songs sort of rolling into each other it appears to be a bit of a folk tune but the words are going to more or less foreshadow her own story her own experience
Listening to Opera for Everyone here on 89.1 KHOL, and today's opera is La Cenarentola by Rossini, a, a bel canto opera. And I'm Pat Wright, your host, and I'm joined today by opera lover Christine Goodman. Christine, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm loving this. It's uh, a lot of fun and a great honor. Yeah, oh, it's wonderful to have you here. It's wonderful. What a fun story this is. The the Cinderella story, but but not quite the familiar Cinderella story. No, not at all. I was surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we've met the two stepsisters. We've met Cinderella herself. And now there's a knock at the door. And she opens it, and uh, a beggar comes in. Alidoro? Alidoro. <laughs> he doesn't introduce himself, but but we know his name is Alidoro. And the stepsisters um, are kind of... Horrible. They're mean girls. They're kind of grossed out by this smelly, ugly man who's... Essentially, they say, ooh, a beggar. Ew, basically, is their... Right. (laughs) They're like, ew. Wanting him to leave. And by contrast, Cinderella's response? Oh, very kind. Brings him a cup of tea or coffee. Something warm, some apples, you know, just being very kind to him. Yeah. Yeah, while the stepsisters are complaining, she's giving him charity, giving him kindness and food. And the sisters are are simply complaining. And Alidoro says to Cinderella, perhaps heaven will reward your kindness before the day ends. 
Well, that sounds like prophecy if I ever heard it. A little foretelling that's to come. (laughs) Yes. The two sisters, Clorinda and Tisbe, continue to strut and uh, think that they're just the best things that ever existed in the world. (laughs) And there's another knock on the door. And that is, well, that's... That's a whole bunch of courtiers who come in. Oh, that's right. All these courtiers come in and they have a huge announcement to make. That the prince is coming. Yeah, they, they say, Charming daughters of Don Magnifico, soon the prince will be arriving, and he wants to take you to his palace, because there will be a ball. And he's going to choose a bride. Yes. I mean, we're going to be told this later on, but again, from the Cinderella story that we all know, this piece remains. He's, he's under an obligation to choose a bride. Time ticks away, and... He must choose a bride because he must produce an heir. So he's, he's required to choose a bride. And unlike so many other royal marriages where you go to other royal houses, he seems to need to choose one from among his people. Or maybe the, the time is so short that he doesn't have time to go yeah. far. That part's never explained. Right. But that's what the courtiers, they deliver that. The chorus, the big, this huge male chorus... Um, there's no female chorus in this, I noticed. There's just no. this huge male chorus in huge. this opera. Yeah. And they deliver this. And uh, as you can imagine, these two stepsisters of Cinderella, who are all a flutter about how wonderful they are, they are extra fluttery. Extra. Extra fluttery. When they uh. hear the prince is going to come. <laughs> and one of them is going to be the lucky bride. Yeah. Oh, they're sure. I mean, they don't even admit any possibility of any other woman being chosen. And particularly since the prince himself is going to show up. Oh my goodness. And Cinderella's response? Well, Well, they start ordering Cinderella around. Oh yeah, both of them from different directions and wanting her to do this and that and this and that. And she's like, what drudgery is this? Yeah. She can't, can't please both of them. Right, so, so it's interesting because in some ways Cinderella's submissive and she, she does what she's told to do, but when they start bossing her around because they're all a flutter about the ball, she doesn't just keep quiet about it. No, that, that actually surprised me. Right. Because the story we're used to is the very submissive, cowering Cinderella, and she was very vocal about the fact, I, I, can't, do, I can't go both directions, I can't help you both. Yeah. And you're driving me crazy. Yeah, that's not what she says, but in essence. Yeah, she, she first she uses sarcasm. Cinderella, come here, go there, come up, go down. Yes, that's right. She says that line, and then she says, what drudgery. Do you ladies want to kill me? Both of you, go to the party and have a good time while I must stay here and suffer. So she's not, she's submissive to the point where she, she does do the work because she appears to have no choice, but she doesn't suffer entirely in silence. No, she's very vocal. Right. Alidoro stays there in the guise of the beggar, still with his coffee that he's enjoying, thanks to her kindness and charity, and tries to give her quiet encouragement. But after all, he's a beggar, and she doesn't really expect a lot from him. She just wants him to take whatever comfort she can offer him. Mm -hmm. But he tries to give her comfort as well we kind of think maybe he's going to be of some help later on, don't we? Oh, yes, you can see that coming. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The courtiers remain and give a little 
background to it all, and they're not terribly impressed with these two self-centered sisters. But the, the two sisters continue to order Cinderella around. And finally, the two stepsisters get really angry at Cinderella when she refers to them as sisters and say, listen, don't call us sisters. They repeatedly throughout this show want to make sure Cinderella knows her place. Right. She's not a sister. She's a servant. She is a servant. We said, don't, we're not, it's a humiliation, Cinderella, for you to refer to us as a sister. Right. It's a humiliation. Don't, like, just knock it off. (laughs) Refer to us with respect, and sister is not a respectful way to refer to us. Don't you, doesn't your heart kind of break for her when they do that? Um, Well, I, I think I was more caught in the surprise that they were telling her we're not your sisters right and that kind of like that was a different shift on the story for me Mm. and um so and I guess I didn't feel sorry for Cinderella because of course I knew she was going to be triumphant (laughs) (laughs) oh come on suspension of disbelief (laughs) you can't you can't jump too quickly to the happy ending (laughs) <laughs> well, and also also because of the strength she was showing. She wasn't cowering. She wasn't being submissive. Yeah, so then that's true. So I, you know, I, yeah, no, I, I, I did not feel sorry for her, actually, because she was, in a way, standing up to them and not letting them, you know, really diminish her in her own eyes. You're right, obviously. <laughs> but I did feel badly for her. <laughs> You're right. You're, you're absolutely right. We now get to meet another character. Alidoro Don. has left. The courtiers have left. And... Don Magnifico? Don Magnifico. Arri- arrives in the room. Arrives. He is not the wicked stepmother. No, he's the wicked stepfather, yes. which was a surprise. Yeah. No stepmother here. They decided to make it a stepfather. Yeah, that surprised me. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I, I was surprised too, actually. But it's, it's interesting, as he explains later on his motivations, you can see why they chose to make him a father, a male head of household, because there are some gender politics going on here. I'm going to make an argument as we go along. I'm not ready to make it yet because I want more of the story to unfold. I'm actually going to make an argument that this opera buffa, this highly comic opera, this fairy tale opera, is highly political. Hmm. This opera, which. I um, think about that. Well, you have to remember that the opera, and you can't really remember because I haven't told you yet, but the opera debuts in 1817, and that's part of why it's political. Oh. So the, the, the timing matters 1817 we'll get back to that but I think making him a a man a male head of household so he's gonna he's waking up now he's woken up from a dream and he is in a bad mood because all the noise that the the girls are making because they're all excited about this ball has woken him up and he was having a wonderful dream and he's really not happy about the fact that they woke him up Oh, 
voglia mi vergogno un magnifico mio sogno mi veniste a sconcertar mi veniste a sconcertar Come son mortificate degne figlie d'un barone. Via silenzio ed attenzione. State il sogno, state il sogno. Mi sognetta il fosco e il chiaro, un bellissimo somaro, un somaro ma solenne, qua contratto, poche portento, sulle spalle a cento a cento, sulle spalle a cento a cento, gli spuntarono le penne, gli spuntarono le penne e in aria sciumolo. Si sentirono per di sotto le campagne a dindonar, dindon, 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 dindon. Col cicci giù giù di botto mi veniste a risvegliar, col cicci giù giù di botto mi veniste a risvegliar. Ecco il simbolo spiegato, ma d'un sogno sintracciato. Ecco il simbolo spiegato. La campana suona festa, allegrezza in casa è questa. Quelle penne siete voi, quel gran volo è mio mio. Resta l'asino di voi, ma quell'asino sono io. Chi mi guarda vede chiaro che il somaro è il genitor. Il somaro è il genitor, il somaro è il genitor. You're listening to Opera for Everyone, and this is La Cenerentola by Rossini. Well, we have just met the stepfather, not the stepmother, the stepfather. And just a, a quick note, that is a patter song. A patter song, yeah. I wondered what it was called, because, and that's the perfect term for it. 
Yeah, that that quick little. Yeah, you have to you have to have a level of skill to be able to enunciate that quickly. And throughout this oh, opera, yeah. there are several patter songs. In fact, bel canto as a rule requires great skill among the singers to carry out the feats that are required of them for singing. Yeah. Maybe I'm jumping ahead, but I'm not giving anything away. But there's, in particular, one song when six of them are all singing their own patter song in sync, and yeah. it's just beautiful. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, that sextet. We'll, we will get to that. I promise we will get to that. It, it'll be wonderful. <laughs> well, back to the story, and Clorinda tells her father, Father, be prepared to receive the good news and the two girls are bursting and they say, the prince is coming and we're going to go to his palace and he's going to choose one of us to be his bride. But they're so full of themselves. He says that I don't know anything about him. He will choose the fairest of you as his bride. He invited you, wife, the most beautiful. I feel quite faint. <laughs> well, He's very excited about the thought of the prince choosing one of his daughters. Mainly because that's what it means for him. That is the entire point. Yes. He <laughs> looks at all of this through the lens of his own need and his own benefit. Yes. And he also says, and he repeats this phrase a few times through the opera, fruits of my loin. And here we get into the whole stepdaughter issue right he right. he makes the point you are the fruits of my loin because of course cinderella is not the fruit of his loin right cinderella was the daughter of his deceased wife but she is not his natural daughter and so he does not value her yeah she's not that's why she's a servant in his household right. that's why she is not considered he doesn't consider her any kind of a daughter. Well, I, I have to say, what a statement way back then. <laughs> and that is well, <laughs> gone on through history. I was going to say, it has nothing really to do with the time period. It just has no, to do with an attitude. An attitude. That fruits of his loin, it wasn't that his daughters were valuable in and of themselves and wonderful in and of themselves, but because they were his daughters, fruit of his loins. Right. And That's what made them valuable. That was the way he viewed the world. Yeah. But he carries on after he says, do your best fruits of my wine. He carries on and this, this is the insight that you were referring to. I'm broke, he says. Half my palace is crumbling. The other half is slowly dying because of lack of maintenance. And in fact, most settings of this opera, you see a grandeur which is crumbling all around. You see a grand palace but it's fraying, you, you know, the walls are crumbling, the furniture is decaying. In fact, one uh, version that I've seen, even the furniture doesn't have all the legs. In fact, that can be used to comic effect, mm -hmm. where, <laughs> where, the, where the, every time someone sits on the sofa, they fall off because one of the legs isn't even present. Yeah. So he sees this connection with the prince, and he doesn't honestly care which of his daughters, which of the two daughters, the fruits of his loin, gets married. He sees that as an opportunity to lift him back up out of poverty, because he does have a, no, a title of nobility. Right. He is, but he's the classic impoverished noble. Right. 
he has delusions of grandeur. He thinks he's hot stuff because he's from the nobility, but he doesn't have the money to back it up. And he's only looking at the opportunity for himself. Absolutely. Not anyone else. So they're all very excited about this, and they exit. And in comes someone dressed as a valet, but, but it's not a valet. No, it's the prince. It's the prince. Hide incognito so that he can find his true love who is not impressed with wealth and nobility. Well, he's kind of curious because his former tutor, Alidoro, his former tutor, who is also sometimes referred to as a philosopher, has said, you need to go visit this house, Prince. You need to go check it out because I think there's a woman there who's perfect for you. Mm -hmm. So he goes and he says, hmm, what does Alidoro see? And he's looking around and it's all deserted. But he says, oh, I need to get married. I, there's, this, there's this law that says I have to get married soon. His parents have died and he has to produce an heir. Mm -hmm. He's required to get married in order to continue in his role as prince and right. inherit the kingdom. And he says, well, Alidoro says this is where I'm going to find love. I, I trust him. And he's there. And enter Cinderella, otherwise known as Cenerentola. <laughs> I didn't say that. Wouldn't it be good. lovely if we spoke Italian? <laughs> Wouldn't it be lovely? It's such a beautiful language. So it lyrical. <laughs> We're just butchering it. I am. Cenerentola. There you go. Cenerentola. <laughs> yes. There's Cenerentola. By the way, you know, she actually has a given name. Her given name is Angelina. Oh, that's so much easier. Yes, Angelina, like but, but she's never referred to as Angelina, so I'm afraid we can't really do that cheat. But okay. it is lovely that her name is, is cognate with angel, isn't it? Yes, it is, because she is an angel. She's angelic. Angelic on earth. All right, so Cenerentola comes in, and there she is in her ash-stained clothing, and both of them realize that their, their hearts are pounding. Just at a glance. Right. Of each other. And we get a little bit of this love at first sight moment. And we launch into this song. And it, it starts off as sort of a dual recitative where they see wonderful things in one another. And this dual recitative blossoms into this, what I would characterize as, as an exquisite duet. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. And I, I don't really want to say anything more. I think we should just listen to it. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Che cos'è? A ponente da levante, a scirocca tramontana, non ho calma su un istante, tutto tutto tocca a me, 
listening to a bel canto opera here on Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. This is La Cenerentola by Rossini. I'm Pat Wright and I'm joined today by opera lover Christine Goodman. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Christine. Thank you, Pat. I love being here. This is great fun. It is great fun. What a fun opera. What a beautiful opera. And dare I say, beautiful singing, beautiful music. Oh, it's gorgeous. And just the layering of the voices and everything. It's wonderful. Love it. Yeah. They don't call it bel canto for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning a whole lot here. Yes. Yes. And it, and it might be worth just a moment talking about some of the words that we heard them sing, mm-hmm. translating them into English, where they have fallen in love during this song. For sure, because he stumbles in there on the advice of Alidoro, his former tutor, the one who had come in earlier dressed dressed as this impoverished soul that she took pity on. The stepsisters thought he was smelly and annoying and wanted him gone, but she took pity and gave him food and kind words. And he's looking around as he's dressed as the valet to the prince, and he says, I'm looking for the Baron's daughters. Where are they? I don't, I don't see them. And Cinderella shows up and he says, who are you? Yes, and she says, I don't know who I am. Which who am I? totally confuses him. Yeah. I don't know who I am. Yeah. And, and it's, it's actually a little comical there. I mean, these are our two most serious characters, right? These are our love interest. And she's like, I, I don't really know who I am. And she ultimately confesses that she, the man she calls father is really her stepfather. And she has these two sisters, but, you know, they don't treat her like loving sisters, that's for sure. She doesn't say that, but we know that. Right. They all had the same mother, but not the same father. And the mother is no longer alive. Right. 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 And meanwhile... Ramiro, the prince, dresses a valet. He's 
he's fallen hard. Really hard. All these little asides. Oh, her simplicity seduces and captivates me. <laughs> yes, he's a charming tenor, right? He is just... Oh, yeah. He is a prince. He is a prince. In every, in every <laughs> meaning of the word. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> he is, he is, he is. And then he hears off in the distance, he hears these other voices, and he says, well, well who are those? Who are those voices? Who are those women? And she says, oh, those, those, are, those are the ladies I have to wait upon. And she pulling, says, I, I never have a moment's peace. Pulling her in all different directions. Yeah, I have to, I have to do everything for them. And, and he's just like, oh, whatever. But her innocence, her purity, and he's just, he's bewitched. He's fallen yeah. in love. This is, this is everything. Well, he's just seeing her, her beauty, her true inner caring, loving beauty and falling. Yeah. Right. Right. He says, I, I don't know what to say. Moving on to our next song. I don't know. Her clothing is coarse, but her face is pretty. She's full of charm. I, I, I don't know what to think. And then in walks... Don Man- Magnifico, <laughs> stepfather say, extraordinaire. I have to laugh every time I see the character, every time I hear the name. Yeah. I mean, could we have come up with a better name than Don Magnifico? Well, of course, that's all part of the... The joke. The joke. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and he's the one who's counting on one of the other two daughters to lift him out of poverty connect him with the highest in the land and he assumes his daughters are going to do that for him not Mm -hmm. considering cinderella to be one of his daughters and he's like hurry up girls hurry up let's let's get ready let's not keep the prince waiting assuming of course that the man before him is the valet to the prince right yeah it's very i have to say i while you were saying that it's it's more in depth of the cinderella story with all those nuances and much more so than I've ever seen expressed in the Cinderella story, the basic Cinderella story. A lot of dynamics going on. Well, it's not your Disney telling no, of the Cinderella not. story because I think, I think what I'd like to call your attention to here, and I'm not just talking to you, Christine, I'm talking to everyone who's yes. listening, is there's a real class element at work here. And we're going to see it more and more as we go through. And this is what I was talking about when I said this is actually a very political piece. There's a real class element here. Mm. The idea is you're going to see it over and over again where the Baron is trying to regain his status because he knows he's of the worthy class. He is of the... upper class even though he's fallen on hard times and he doesn't have money obviously the prince is of the upper class cinderella he is relegated to the servant class he doesn't consider her to be worthy any longer even though he married her her mother once upon a time but she's no longer he's not she is not of his loins so she's she's fallen to the lowest of the classes the valet, of course, is of the servant class, so he doesn't deserve any consideration or respect. The beggar, remember how the, the stepsisters treated him when he came in, he's not worthy of respect. Mm. 
Um, and part of the reason I mentioned the time period is, and we can talk about this a little bit more later, is that this is early 19th century and put this in the context of enlightenment or probably a little easier to explain is in the context of the Napoleonic period, the French Revolution. Oh, sure. Yes, I can see that totally. Napoleon, I mean, just in brief, Napoleon was the the man who is not of the nobility, who ultimately becomes emperor of France and ends up conquering a large swath of Europe, totally turns Europe on its head upside down. This idea that you could be not of the great and the good, didn't have this noble bloodline, and yet you could rise. Mm -hmm. So there was, there was that. Napoleon's complicated, but this idea in the Enlightenment that, that in fact permeates American culture to this day, that we are all equal under the law. I mean, the, the founding documents and the founding ideals of, of the United States of America are Enlightenment documents. The yes. equality of all people. Right. The worthiness of all people. All of these are Enlightenment ideals, and these are ideals that are expressed in Cinderella. And that's in direct conflict with the prevailing ideals of the nobility being mm -hmm. more worthy people, mm -hmm. which in fact was what the French Revolution was originally fought was, against. It was all about. So that's what I said when, when this is just a fairy tale, it's in fact a very political very comment. Political. The, yeah. This comment that people all deserve equal respect, and it is, it is a comment on what people's character are like. I mean, you could even throw in a Martin Luther King Jr. quote if you want to, that the content of your character is what matters. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. It's not, it's not what you were born as. It's who you are as a person, and that's what Cinderella is all about in this. Right, right. And the story of her prevailing. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun. And we're going to see a little bit more of her character as she goes through. But it's not just it's not just about the magical forces that help her along the way. It's who she is and what she does. Right. Because, in fact, in this telling with Rossini and his librettist Ferretti, there are no magical elements. And that's oh, what right. makes this very special. There's no fairy godmother. There's right. this teacher, this tutor who guides things, who helps out at opportune moments, but he's not magical. He's just in the right place at the right time. Right, right. And well, he's, he's foretelling the future in a way and um, presenting that there's much more going on here and to have faith that there are suffering is over and to have faith. He doesn't actually say that, but that is the idea. Well, in a way, he does in the beginning, right? Yeah, kind of. You yeah. will be rewarded for your you goodness. He says rewarded. that in the very yes. first scene. Yes, yes that's right. I've, yes, right. I knew that. Well, I got the essence. <laughs> Absolutely. Hmm. So, back on our scene here, it's time for, I wish you could all see my air quotes, the prince to show <laughs> up, <laughs> which, of course, if the prince is dressed as the valet, who, of course, shows up as the prince? The valet. Exactly. The valet shows up dressed as the prince, and he shows up and another opportunity for great comedy. Um, as he's using his temporary power to... <laughs> great comic effect. Flaunt at the prince. Oh, it's hysterical. Well, of course, he's preceded by this whole chorus of the courtiers right. who announce his arrival. 
and he shows up and he there's just hysterical opportunities for him to enjoy being the one to push around the prince in right. not in mean ways but in amusing ways loving his temporary position oh for sure <laughs> absolutely for sure and the stepsisters well they are just being ridiculous fawning all over him in absurd ways and if yeah. they only knew how much they were embarrassing themselves <laughs> <laughs> but as audience members we sure do enjoy it <laughs> yes and they were competing highly with each other they were they yes. were yes yeah, they're pretty funny about that whole thing. And Dandini is just like, these girls are not really interesting to me, but... He's playing his role. He's playing his role, and he's kind of had enough of it. But Ramiro says, no, no, you have to you have to keep with it. Because Alidoro says, we, we really need to stick around, and I trust Alidoro. He's a man I trust, and we need to figure out what's going on here. So he presses Dandini to, to keep with it, to keep with it. Right, because the prince doesn't quite understand yet. It's like, well, he was told that there's a sister here, there's someone here that of value, and yet here's these two women. They don't really seem... It's like, well, we got to figure this out. Right, so Dandini stays with it, and there's this wonderful little line he gives. He says, now, to continue the speech that I was about to begin... <laughs> I love that line. Yes. Upon returning from my travels, I found that my daddy had fallen precipitously into the realm of the late departed. And while he was on his deathbed, he ordered me to get married. Or if not, I'd be disinherited. That's what we were talking about before. Right. He has to get married. And so he decided to invite everyone to a ball so he could choose a wife. And so that's how we get our full explanation. But you notice the, oh, the pompous, absurd language. So he's a valet, and so he uses this ridiculous, overblown language even right. to pretend to be a prince. But of course, because the stepsisters are pompous and overblown themselves, none of this seems odd to them. Right. They don't understand. Yeah. They don't pick it up. They don't pick it up. Yes, exactly. Not at all. They're just, they're ooing and aahing over him. And meanwhile... Speaking of ooing and aahing, who's making eyes at whom? Oh, well, the prince and the calmly servant, Cinderella, mm. are eyeing each other from afar and singing to one another without them actually knowing they were singing to one another yes. how they were feeling. She thinks the valet is awfully cute. <laughs> <laughs> and he thinks, well, she's a little dusty, but I kind of like her. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty cute, actually. Mm -hmm. So on the heels of this beautiful duet and everything going on, you know that Cinderella, I can't say the Italian word very well, <laughs> realizes that, it, that she wants to go to the ball. She fervently wants to go to the ball because she knows then she'll get to see the valet again. So she says to her stepfather, take me to the prince's ball, please, just one just for one hour, please take me to the ball. I love the fact that she speaks up for herself. Mm -hmm. She goes to her stepfather and says, one word, sir, please take me. And he's, he brushes her off. He says, no, you're a servant. Yeah. But she keeps after him and she says, please take me. Please, please take, take me. me. I'll, you know, and she makes all kinds of efforts and, and she advocates for herself. She is not a mousy little one. No, not at all. Let's listen to that.
You're listening to Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. It airs Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. KHOL is Wyoming's only community radio station. Opera for Everyone is hosted by me, Keely Heron, And me, Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode. Welcome back to the second half of Opera for Everyone. Today's opera, La Cenerentola, by Rossini, a bel canto opera retelling the Cinderella story, a little bit different from what you may be used to. I am your host, Pat Wright, and I am joined today by longtime resident of Jackson Hole and longtime opera lover, Christine Goodman. Christine, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm loving being here. It's great fun. Yeah, you may change your mind after you (laughs) realize what's coming up at the top of the second hour. (laughs) It is time for the famous Opera for Everyone, Opera Helmet Quiz. Oh, Lord. That means, (laughs) yes, indeed. (laughs) That means it is time for a recap of the story so far. What happened in the first half of La Cenerentola? Okay, so it opens to the two stepsisters who are just basically fawning over themselves and their great qualities as they see them and finding a man of their dreams and singing along and to themselves, each in their own little story. And then uh, Cinderella comes in and uh, she's cleaning shoes, she's polishing shoes and singing her own quiet, almost folk song to herself about this dream of a king that wants to find a true love. And uh, she's singing that, and then the sisters get very annoyed with her with her very foolish song and going on about themselves. And I think it's about that time a, a beggar, a common man comes to the door. He's dressed in, uh, well, rags and probably smelling and the sisters are like get rid of him and of course Cinderella is very kind to him and gives him hot drink and food and is uh, trying to be kind to him and somewhere in there the beggar says lets her know that there are good times ahead can't remember what it exactly says your kindness will be rewarded your kindness will be rewarded that's right and then I believe it's on the heels of that that the courtesans the the courtiers courtiers thank you come in and they're singing about the coming of the prince that's going to arrive and then instead a a valet appears and he starts asking is anyone here and um, we pretty we pretty shortly realize it's actually the prince incognito and he has been told oh this is after the 
beggar leaves, and it's actually the tutor, the princess tutor, who has told him, there are these three sisters, you need to go there, you will... Yeah, he's not real clear at this point that it's yeah. three sisters. He just says, you need to go to this house. Oh, good. that's right. There's okay. someone here worthy. Worthy that you need to meet. And so begins this charade of the prince who is acting as the valet. And then the valet comes in who's acting as the prince. And it goes forward as the prince is trying to figure out. And, and in the meantime, he's not really caring for these two horrible sisters. And he's falling in love at first sight with this comely servant gal. Yes, because she doesn't seem to care about his station, right. about his rank, right. whereas the two stepsisters are fawning all over the guy who appears to be the prince right? and don't have the time of day for the guy who's the valet. Right, and calls him vulgar and common and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, it was set quite a stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, the horrible stepfather comes in and establishes that he's really only out for himself, using his daughters as a pawn to become back into riches and nobility and so forth. That's right, yeah, because he's his mansion is falling to ruin because he doesn't have the money to pay for it anymore. Right. That's right. So Cinderella's asked if she can go to the ball, and... They all think that's hysterical because she's just a, a dirty serving maid. And the stepfather actually ends up practically wanting to beat her. Right. Because she keeps asking to go. And, of course, she wants to go because you kind of get the gist that she realizes if she can go to the ball, then she'll get to see the valet again. She couldn't care less about the prince. But um, anyways, the stepfather doesn't want to hear of it. Right. And moving on from the opera helmet quiz into some of the, you did great, by the way. Thank moving you. on from the opera helmet quiz into some of the, the lyric that, that follows what we, what we last talked about. Uh, magnifico, laugh every time I hear that name. The father. <laughs> the, the awful stepfather. Don Magnifico. Turns to um, the valet, dressed up as the prince, and said, most exalted highness, she's nothing but a lowly, ignorant servant. And uh, both the prince and the valet seem a little surprised. She's just a servant. Magnifico says, yes, she's from the lowest background. She wants to play the darling in a beauty, but she's good for nothing. nothing. Yeah. And <clears throat> it's, it's very clear she's good for a lot of things, but she's good for nothing. And, and she's, they, he just turns to her and says, go to your room, sweep up the dust. And so they make it very clear what kind of people they are, the stepfather and the two sisters. And Dandini, the valet, dressed as the prince, gets very upset. He says, don't mistreat her. Mm -hmm. Stop that. And so he steps in a few times because he is about to, to hit her a few times. And, and even the way he speaks to her is beyond what, what the valet. He even threatens to strangle her. That's right. That's right. He's, he's dreadful. He's absolutely dreadful. Um, and it's a, at one point, Cinderella is just, she's bereft. She says, why must I always remain amid the ashes? And she's pleading with the other two men who seem to be reasonable. Please, please, gentlemen, persuade him to take me to the ball. Please allow me. Mm -hmm. And guess who shows up at this point? The tutor, who basically is 
kind of foretelling hope for the future and tells her that life is changing. And he says, here's the list of the register of the eligible maidens. And Don Magnifico, three sisters live with you. And he sees there's two, where's, where's the third one? I must ask you to let me see your third daughter. Yeah, where's the third daughter? And Magnifico is such a snake. And he denies it. Are you, are you trying to make me a, pro- a progenitor again? In other words, am I about to have another daughter? What are you talking about? <laughs> he, he, so he cannot even conceive of Cinderella as his daughter. No. Remember how he refers to the other two as fruit of his loins? Oh, yes, yes. He can't even conceive of it. But Alidoro is persistent. He says, there's a third sister. I have to say, I found it interesting that Don Magnifico was so insistent that there was no other daughter and that she had died. And I I found myself thinking, wow, why is he trying so hard to prevent them knowing that she is also a daughter in the house? Did he know that that might threaten the possibility of his fruit of his loin daughters? Yes, yes. Becoming... Well, first of all, he never even considered Cinderella to be his daughter. Right. Which is why he treats her the way he does. Yeah. And when he finally realizes what they're talking about, he makes up this lie. Oh, she died. Yes. There's no other family member here. This, this is just the servant girl. Right. So he makes up this lie. She died. Which, you know, that idea was always present in the Cinderella story that we're all used to. But this was this was on a whole nother level. This was he was. Uh, she did not exist on any way. She was. Not, I don't know how to describe the difference, but it was deeper than. Well, the the gender switch is actually significant, I believe. Yeah, that's true. Right. Yes. It yeah. being a stepfather. As opposed to a stepmother. I mean, an evil stepmother is one thing, but the father, <laughs> the patriarchal role, it it actually has a different feel to it, I think. It totally had a different feel to it. Much deeper, more... Uh, I wish I could think of the word. But, yeah, the whole different, deeper, more f- profound statement he was making that, no, she did not exist. She died. She was not a part of it. And then he even ripped up the register. Right. Right. Because, because you know, Alidoro says, well, there's no record of in the registry of, of this girl having died. And he rips the whole thing up. Right. Again, Cinderella's crushed. She's absolutely crushed. And mm-hmm. you know how it ends. And I know you know that she advocates for herself. But I feel sorry for her at that point in time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and about the time he's threatening to strangle her, he Magnifico says to Cinderella, out of their earshot, one more word from you, and this house will be your cemetery. Right. Yes. I mean, he's deeply threatening to her. Oh, yeah, that surprised me. He was very threatening. Yes. And, and Cinderella says, help me, please don't leave me. What will become of my wretched soul? So it's right. on a very much deeper level than I've ever seen in the Cinderella stories. Oh no, it's 
it's real. Yeah. It's very yeah. threatening. Yeah, very threatening. But Magnifico is is absolutely determined to claw his way back to the station he believes he's entitled to have. Mm-hmm. And it may be really the deeper stuff. Maybe I'm going too deep here, but that he saw Cinderella as so less of a, a non, she was a non-person, right? a non-being, and all he was thinking about was what was his best chance to get back into nobility and wealth. It was through his Fruit of His Loin Daughters, and that's why he was so ardently dismissing Cinderella as nothing, because that's not his best chance. Absolutely. He, that's what he saw. Absolutely. She was just a servant. Period. She was, as far as he was concerned. Right. I mean, he probably saw himself as like, well, she's lucky to have a roof over her head. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So ultimately, Alidoro does finally give words of encouragement and comfort to Cinderella. And he says, yes, everything will change. And we're going to listen to that, but I just want to highlight something. In that first little bit of that song when he says, everything will change, he says, your stepsister's mad pride will turn to dust. After all of your suffering, you will indeed smile once again, my daughter. My daughter, yes. Yeah, that was sweet. And, and, and she says, did you call me daughter? Now that's a good one. The Baron, my stepfather, doesn't even want to be called father. And looking at the two of us in rags, I would be a worthy daughter to you. Right? Yeah, that was quite a statement. Yeah. Yeah. So she feels so unwanted, so unconnected. The fact that this, this beggar is willing to call her daughter. Yeah. She's deeply touched by that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this man who should be calling her daughter will not do it. It's casting her aside. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the final song of this scene, Alidoro gives comfort to Cinderella, and he says, There in heaven's mysterious depths an omnipotent God sits on his high throne, Lord of the world, at his feet, even thunder rumbles feebly. He knows everything, he sees everything, and he will not permit goodness to die in sorrow. Because we remember the subtitle of the show. Goodness Triumphant. That's right. Goodness Triumphant. Don't be afraid. Your pain has transformed into happiness. That's a wonderful statement. This is his aria.
Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and we're listening to La Cenerentola, Rossini's opera, Cinderella. Well, that was Alidoro, closest thing this opera has to a fairy godmother. No fairy, no godmother, but a wise man who has the prince's best interests at heart, who sees the worthiness of Cinderella. He's just comforted Cinderella and told her she will go to the ball. And, of course, there was no magic pumpkin or anything, but he does bring forth a carriage that has a beautiful ball gown in it for Cinderella. Very practical. <laughs> he makes it work for her. Very good. And the next scene, we see we are in the prince's palace. Bravo, 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 says Dandini. He says, well done, Don Magnifico. And we get this little sort of side plot where he explains to Don Magnifico he can be the wine steward. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> if, he, if he can stay sober and taste... Uh, 30, 30 wines. 30 barrels of wine. Right. Um, we're not so sure he actually manages to stay sober, but uh, there's a cute little scene where he tastes those 30, 30 casks of wine. Right. <laughs> and do you think it was his way of getting rid of the father, getting him busy doing something else. Yeah, That's what I wonder. Probably giving him an opportunity to look foolish again. Right, yeah. Absolutely. And he's, he's a pompous man with a, a sense of self-importance. And, and also within the opera itself, it's just another little comic moment. Yeah, an opportunity to have yeah, comic relief and more singing. Yes, <laughs> yes. But we're going to press on to 
absolutely one of my favorite songs in the opera, uh, Zito Zito Piano Piano, where we start off with the valet and the prince, Dandini and Ramiro, where they they want to talk quietly, quietly to each other. Oh, right. Basically talk about how horrible those sisters are. Yes. I don't want anyone to hear. And also, uh, they were speaking of their own charade. Absolutely. That they've got to keep it up. They've got to keep it up and and figure out, like, how do we do this? Like, Alidoro, there's got to be something to what he said, but... We've got to we've got to figure this whole thing out, and then the two sisters are going to make their way in, and and before long sisters. we're going to have five of them singing along with the chorus. I think it's one of those songs that you like it's, so it well. Was, I think it was one of my favorite songs because the patter. They were all singing their own uh, patter, and it all just went beautifully together and it created this rhythm and almost like a a singing percussion it was gorgeous it was gorgeous and one of the issues here is one of those serious issues we were talking about because the prince air quotes again says well if i pick one of you what's going to happen to the other of you he says oh i know i'll give you to my friend and he gestures to his valet and the two sisters are both incredulous at the concept that right. one of them would have to marry a lowly servant. It's just right. inconceivable that someone they would have to stoop so low as oh, to be yeah. spending time with a commoner. Right. And, and they, they even say, it makes me sick just imagining such a union. They can't <laughs> even imagine it. <laughs> and before long, there's going to be a woman who comes in with a veil. Right, she's announced as a mysterious woman with a mask. Nobody knows who she is. And by the way, she has a very lovely dress on. Oh, gorgeous dress. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let, let's, let's listen to Zito Zito Piano Piano. Zito Zito, piano piano, se sa strepito il rumore. Zito Zito, piano piano, se sa strepito il rumore. Delle tue quale rumore esa decia e verita Zitto, 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 zitto Piano, 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 piano Se si è strepito il rumore, se si è strepito il rumore Delle tue quale rumore esa decia e verita Zitto, zitto Piano, piano, delle tue quale rumore esa decia e verita Esa decia, esa decia, esa decia e verita Esa decia, esa decia, esa decia e verita Esa decia, esa decia, esa decia e verita Oh, no, Mr. Piano, piano, piano. 
piano piano il sole zitto 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 e capriccio Alidoro mi diceva è parità è maestro You're listening to Rossini's Cenerentola on Opera for Everyone. 89.1 KHOL. I'm Pat Wright, and I'm joined today by Christine Goodman. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Christine. Well, who is that masked and veiled woman? Tenerentola. Yes, there she is. <laughs> but they don't know that at this point. She's most intriguing, and they believe she's quite lovely. And she sings a little bit about the fact that she despises capriciousness and insincerity Mm. and she wants to just announce to the crowd no one's asked but she tells them the man who wants me for a bride only needs to offer me respect love and kindness well Ramiro his heart is all a flutter yes he doesn't know yet that she's the same one that he encountered back at the Baron's house. Which I find kind of interesting. <laughs> How could he not know? <laughs> Suspension of disbelief. <laughs> hey, listen, there are operas where a little, you know, mustache, a change of clothing, oh, yeah. far less has concealed identities than a mask on the face. Well, he's really a rather fickle prince then, because he was already in love with the I don't know that I'd use the word fickle. I mean, she is the same woman. He's but he doesn't know that, and he's but he hasn't yet figured falling it out. in love again with an, yet another woman. Well, he he does say to himself, "I recognize that voice. It it reaches into my heart." Yes, that's right. That's right. Yes, it's occurring to him that there's something very familiar here. And I'm gonna I'm gonna read this next line because it it underscores this point I'm making about the Enlightenment and all of these ideas, he says, it transforms me into a more noble man, he says. yes. It's interesting, right? He is about as noble as they're going to get in this show. He's the prince, after all. But he says, this woman makes me more noble. Which is interesting. (laughs) I'm sorry, it just occurred to me this was written a very long time ago. And that's kind of another way of what is popular to say now is you make me want to be a better man. Yes. It's the same concept. It is. It is, although they're using this word that has to do with class distinction as well. Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's all this speculation. There's this wondering. And then Cinderella, in fact, removes the disguise. She removes the mask, removes the veil. And everyone recognizes her. Or yeah. maybe they recognize her. They're not sure. They're not sure. She looks just like Cinderella. And they're confused. <laughs> really confused. Incredulous. And she spends the time staring at the prince dressed as the valet. And Alidoro in the in the corner looks around, takes in the scene, and he says to himself, well, my plans have worked splendidly. He must already be in love with her. Mm -hmm. So 
he sort of orchestrated this once he found what a good person, after all, subtitle, goodness triumphant, he realizes, yes, his plan worked. He put them together, and this prince that he loves so well has fallen for this truly good young woman. Yes. And time for more comic relief. (laughs) (laughs) The new wine steward comes in, and dinner is served, and we have this just ridiculous... Yeah, that was very funny. Yeah. Well, go ahead, describe it to us. Musical chairs at the dining room, and... uh, and it getting a little bit more and more wild as it went and to the point of even throwing food around. Right. And <laughs> it's like, wow, okay. That was, yeah, quite a bit of comic relief. Right. So they're trying to figure out if she's the, if she's the one at home or not. And they say, well, no, she's way too elegant to be our Cinderella. Our Cinderella is, is clumsier and she's awkward. This, this woman is regal and she seems to be highborn. So it couldn't possibly be our Cinderella. Yeah, it was actually quite, it was interesting because the prince, who is still dressed as the valet, is sitting next to Cinderella and they keep singing and they don't get up and do the musical chairs and they're very elegantly, serenely singing and all the rest of them are getting more and more worked up and changing chairs and yeah. Yeah, let's pull this up and listen to a bit more of it, shall we? Yes. Sounds good.
You're listening to Opera for Everyone, and that is the end of Act One of Rossini's La Cenerentola, Cinderella. Cinderella, like you've probably never experienced it before <laughs> unless you've seen this opera. Yes. In the beginning of Act Two, we are still in Don Romero's castle. We have the stepsisters and the stepfather deeply unhappy, and they're not quite sure what's going on. They look at her and they grumble. They smile at her and they shudder within. And they're trying to figure out what in the world has gone on with this, with this girl. But most importantly, Don Magnifico is, of course, focused on whom? Himself. He's afraid that there will be quite a scandal if someone finds out that he has squandered Cinderella's inheritance. Right. So he does need to get these girls married off, and not just because he's a social climber. Yeah, right. He's, which this is the first time that there's any indication that he's really been about some foul play and spent all Cinderella's money. From Tru- truly making himself an evil stepfather. Oh, yeah. Not Very just evil. a self-centered stepfather. Right, right. And that doesn't he- it make you think probably that the mother was, he married the mother because she was the one who had the money? Oh, absolutely. Because otherwise, why would she have inheritance for him to have squandered? Oh, yes, yeah. That's uh, right. He married her for the money and then spent it all after she passed. So Cinderella was impoverished because, which is similar to the, to the Cinderella story that we know. Where, oh, yeah, it just flipped. But it's flipped, and the father's trying to, uh, trying to recoup but he's he's terrified that he'll he'll be found out. Yeah, and he, he explains I spent all of her inheritance to keep you girls in fine clothes. So those three miserable people leave the stage and Ramiro comes on and he's puzzling through this lovely unknown woman and he's struck by the fact that she looks so uncommonly like that poor unfortunate woman that he met in the Baron's house and he's trying to figure all that out and he sees Dandini come in Dandini dressed as the prince come in with this gorgeous mysterious woman and he decides to hide and as he's hiding he says even Dandini seems to be in love with her and he listens to their conversation do you remember what he he hears oh yes Cinderella confesses to Dandini that she is in love with another man And Dandini says, you dare say that to my face. Sandra says, my lord, please don't get angry. I speak to you with sincerity. Anyway, she she finally announces that she's in love with the valet, who is actually the prince. But she doesn't know that. No, she doesn't know that. (laughs) So, again, showing her true heart. She's not after position or power. She's just fallen in love with this charming young man. Right who happens to be the valet, as far as she knows. Right. And Dandini, you can't believe it. <laughs> like, really? I'm dressed as a prince? And you don't want me? <laughs> and that's not good enough for you? She's like, sorry, dude, not in love with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, well, oh, well. <laughs> and Ramiro, immer- the second he hears it, he pops out. And he is beside himself with joy. He can't 
quite believe his luck. And this is when you feel like, oh, the story's going to wrap up right here. I thought it was going to wrap up. <laughs> right? Don't you feel like, oh, yes, it's okay. all good. It's all good. Everybody knows who it loves each other. And right? There it is. It's all going to end, but the story's not over yet. <laughs> it's all going to end. Every, everything's good. Alidoro even shows up at this point. And he's, he's thrilled to pieces. It's all going so well. And Ramiro says, what? It, it wasn't title. It wasn't riches that brought you in. It wasn't that what won your heart. And she says, wealth is not the issue. My wealth is virtue. Wealth is love. And this right. is, again, goodness triumphant. Right. This is this this subtitle, this moral, this main point that they're getting at. And Ramiro's like, he's ready to wrap up the story here, right on right. the spot. He's ready to just put a ring on it, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> and Cinderella's like, whoa, down boy. You don't even know me and my qualities. That's right. She says, you need to get to know me. And Ramiro's like, wait, I'm the prince. You love me. I love you. We're good. And she says, "Uh uh-uh, not so fast, buddy. She says, I'm going to leave. Don't follow me. You need to come find me. But I'll give you something to help you. She gives him one of her bracelets. She has two matching bracelets, one on each wrist. That Dandini had given her. Yeah, that was part of her party outfit. The ball gown, yes. Yeah. So Dandini, not Dandini, Alidoro. Oh, sorry. Alidoro. It was very confusing. I know. (laughs) I know. Yeah, so the the very helpful tutor who was helping with this, part of her beautiful party outfit included these two lovely bracelets, matching bracelets. So no glass slipper here. No accidental leaving behind. She makes a conscious choice. And she says, that, you know, don't let this momentary excitement sway you. If you really want me, give it a minute. Come find me. Yeah, that was a big change in the script that we're all used to. Mm-hmm. Right. Not, nothing accidental. She, again, was showing her strength and fortitude. And you're going to have to come and find me. You're going to have to. Well, no striking me. midnight, no magical <laughs> turning back into a pumpkin. Her dress is not going to become rags. Right. None of that stuff. But just like, slow down, soldier. You need to make sure of your decision. If you really want me, you will find me. Here's my bracelet. There's a little token. You'll know me when you see this bracelet. That's right. I, I do find it interesting, though, that I noticed in the set there were images of midnight on a clock that I didn't wasn't well part that of partic- the passing but there, it was we there. watched a production that had a lot of nods to oh the traditional the tradi- okay the traditional story there I think there are other productions that don't necessarily do that but we watched a production that had a lot of nods to the traditional story okay good to know I wondered about that it's not in the libretto so she leaves again a woman of her word and I think the best tenor aria in the entire show is the one that the prince sings right now. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yes, one I vow. One of my favorite songs. Yes, I vow to find her again. Oh, 
This is Rossini's La Cenerentola on Opera for Everyone. The Prince, Prince Ramiro, has just vowed to go and find Cinderella. She hasn't run out of a ball. She has not lost a glass slipper. She has said, my prince, if you love me, take a moment, think about it. Here's one of my bracelets. Come find me. She wants him to come find her, but... He needs to go do that. I found that to be a rather interesting uh, uh, diversion from the Cinderella stories we are used to. Yes. Where she's showing her strength and she's kind of come into her own, really. Her strength, her own strength. And it's like, come find me. Yeah. Can Mm -hmm. you imagine one of the stepsisters taking that kind of risk? No. (laughs) Absolutely not. So it's interesting. At this point, he is he is still the valet, by the way, at this point. Um, or actually, right before he's singing this song, he is still the valet. He's still the valet when she gives him the bracelet. And, and he turns to Alidora and says, what do I do? Alidora says, follow your heart. And that's at the point when he decides to become the prince again. Right. So if he becomes the prince again, of course, his valet must become... A peon, as he says. <laughs> he does say that. I am again a peon. <laughs> so there's, there's, a, there's a cute little song that Dandini sings with Don Magnifico, where in the course of the song it becomes clear to the, uh, the grubbing, social climbing Magnifico that Dandini is not the prince. Dandini is just a commoner, just a servant, kind of crushes Magnifico's whole world. (laughs) His plans. Yes. Cosa stravagante 
Back with La Cenerentola. We're getting near the end of the show. We are back at Don Magnifico's house. I don't really think he's all that magnificent myself. (laughs) (laughs) La Cenerentola is back there. She's out of her magnificent ball gown, and she's singing to herself again. Her folk song about the king who wants to find true love. Yes, she sings that beloved folk song, but she gets distracted and she doesn't quite finish it. That's right. She's looking down at her bracelet and speaking to the bracelet, actually. Because it's precious. But the man that she fell in love with is more precious. Yeah, that's a very sweet song. She <laughs> says, you're even more precious to me. It's, it's actually quite sweet. Following her sweet song, the the rest of the family trundles in oh, from yes. the ball. It her two stepsisters and her stepfather, and they're in a pretty foul mood after the ball because uh, there's no marriage proposal in hand. And there was this beautiful, mysterious woman yes. that they thought was looked so much like their servant sister. Right. In fact, Magnifico says to her. I've discovered a certain witch who resembles you. They don't really believe it's her. Right. Yeah. And meanwhile, there's a terrible thunderstorm outside. Yeah, that was interesting. Very symbolic of the storm of everything that's happening, I suppose. Exterior monologue, anyone? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, In fact, it, it plays right into Alidoro's hand. Alidoro arranges to have the prince's carriage break down right outside this house. Right. How convenient. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. And they go inside. And much to everyone's surprise, when they go inside with the prince dressed as the prince, he instantly sees his true love. And his eye goes right to her wrist. And she's wearing the bracelet, the matching bracelet. No trying on of glass slippers. None of the awful stories of trying on the glass <laughs> slipper of everyone in the land. The matching bracelet there. And yeah, is I like And is the story over now? I was just going to say that. It was so funny because, oh, good, right to the point. There's the bracelet. She's the gal. I thought, oh, it's going to end now. No. <laughs> There's more. There's Lots more, more singing. Is it really you, he says, 
yes, it's really her. Oh, yes, it's really her. And there's a wonderful song that they sing. This is a snarled knot where they all get tied up with each other. They're trying to figure out how is it possible that this all got so complicated. They were all caught up in their own desires and wishes, and then all of a sudden it became very clear, actually, that the prince was in love with Cinderella, and they still couldn't believe it, and they were holding on to their own stories they had in their head. So the prince and Cinderella are deliriously happy. Alidoro is very pleased with his handiwork. Not so much the stepsisters and Don Magnifico. They are essentially gnashing their teeth at this point. Don Magnifico is afraid that he's going to be found out for the spendthrift that he was, for the squanderer of her inheritance that he was. And Clorinda and Tisba are disgusted at the thought Mm. that the prince, the high-born prince, the ruler of the land, is associating with a lowly woman like Cinderella, the dirty woman who's been washing their clothes and cooking their meals and scrubbing their floors. And choosing her over them. That's right. In fact, even at this point, when the prince is embracing her, Clorinda says, you stupid woman with a soul of slime, who do you think you are? It's bad manners to associate with people of high breeding like us. (laughs) And Magnifico says, who allowed you, you audacious servant, to be presumptuous and associate with such select company? Go to the kitchen, unworthy servant, and never again return here. And Ramiro, the prince, threatens all of them. You despicable people, you insult the one I adore. In vain, beware, wretched creatures, for I will strike you in revenge. And again, this feels like the end. They feel like everything that's coming to them, they deserve. But no, remember our subtitle. (laughs) Goodness. Triumphant. Yes. And what what does Cinderella ask for? To forgive them. Right. To pity them, to forgive them, and in goodness be triumphant. She asks to let goodness be triumphant. Lord, if it is really true that you feel love for me in your heart, pity them, forgive them. She asks for pity and for forgiveness. For these despicable people. For these incredibly despicable people. Take a deep breath, everyone. That's goodness on a profound level. Yeah, it really was, and sincere. 
Because that one, that scene there, they were they were being horrible to her, saying terrible things. Even after f- realizing the prince loved her, and it was a done deal, and they're still they weren't giving up. They were still trying to force her into her servitude, go back to the kitchen. Right. Right. And this being an opera buffa, this being a comic setting, very popular opera. <laughs> it ends in a wedding. She gets her wish, smiles all around. Yeah. I, I loved how it ended. It ends in a wedding. They do get coupled up. Here's quite a statement right here. Look right. at this. I mean, it was an ugly scene. You evil, insane people, I'll make you shudder. Right. So Cinderella is, is goodness incarnate, I would say. Oh, she absolutely. is goodness, kindness, mercy. She wants this family to be a family. Remember, she wants the father to call her father. She oh, wants yeah. her stepfather to call her father. Ramiro has a harder time. He, he's going to give Cinderella her wish. He's not as easy. He, his words don't come as easily to him. The words of forgiveness don't come as easily because he does call them. Oh, evil, insane people? Yeah, because he, it makes him angry the way they treat her. Mm-hmm. But they, at the end, they say, come, let my love guide you to reign in triumph. And it's a beautiful story. And Alidoro highlights it all in the end and says, I asked you for alms long ago, Cinderella, or it seems like long ago in the story. And even though you were in rags and ashes, you gave me what little you had, and you gave me kindness. Your father gobbled up your dowry, and he took your money, and he didn't even give you kindness or compassion. But you have kindness and compassion for them. She's... Goodness incarnate. (laughs) She's goodness incarnate. And we're happy to see, we're happy to see her happy ending. And we marvel in a way that's, I mean, it's, it, I, I don't know how to say this other than it's almost biblically incomprehensible how good she is. Oh, I'd agree with that. Definitely. I mean, after the horrible way they always treated her up until moments before, basically, and she still, she wants so to have them love her, accept her. She wants to be able to love them and be a family. Yeah, and in some ways I feel that this is more powerful without the elements of magic. This Mm -hmm. is more powerful a story without the elements of magic. Yeah, well, it's more like a real story as opposed to a fairy tale. I think that's the perfect place to end. Thank you so much, Christine, for joining us on Opera for Everyone. You're welcome, thank you.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. And I'm Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. We know that opera can be challenging. But everyone loves a good story. And a story set to music is even better. That's why our mission is to make Opera opera for for everyone. everyone.